And welcome inside another edition of Bengals Barn. I am your host, Chris Bengal, back to bring you all the hardest-hitting hockey news. And what we're going to talk about today, we're going to get into a rundown of the offseason. It's, uh, you know, kind of been a lull in the action here since free agency is kind of wrapped up. And as the season is only here a few days away... Uh, Friday and Saturday, we'll have the Global Series getting underway overseas. And then uh, opening night is just a f- you know, little over a week away on the 11th. Uh, so we're almost there down the home stretch. So we're going to you know, kind of recap the biggest moves of the offseason. You know, who switched addresses, what teams got better, all that good stuff. So the first piece of news we have is goaltender Spencer Knight has signed a three-year contract extension with the Florida Panthers. Uh, the deal is going to be worth $4.5 million per season, running through the 2025-26 season. Last season, uh, Knight tallied a 19-9-3 record, uh, had a 2.79 goals against average, and a .908 save percentage in 32 games, splitting time with Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, his 19 wins were the most for a rookie goaltender in Panthers history, and he also recorded a pair of shutouts, and he was the only rookie goaltender in franchise history to have multiple shutouts in his rookie season, uh, joining Roberto Luongo, who is, ironically enough, getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in November. Knight was originally the 13th overall pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, as I said, splitting time with Bobrovsky last year in his rookie season. Uh, it was you know pretty impressive year considering Bobrovsky was tied for the NHL lead in wins with 39. But my biggest takeaway from this is, you know, it's a nice team-friendly deal for Knight. It's a good deal for both sides. You know, you've got Knight, who's, you know, kind of a young developing goaltender. He had a good season last year. Um, you know, coming off of that strong rookie year, you're, the Panthers are capitalizing on that. They're not paying through the roof, but they're also making sure that Knight is under team control for the next three years uh, through that 25-26 season. Um, and that's important because Bobrovsky is, you know, just turned 34 and his best days are honestly behind him. Um, the last three seasons, goals against averages of 3.23, 2.91, and last season 2.67, which obviously 2.67, solid, not bad at all. Um, you know, but also not elite either. Um, so It was a good move for the Panthers to lock up a young goaltender that, you know, has the potential to be one of the better netminders in the sport. And, you know, you you now have him in the fold for the next couple years for sure. And, you know, maybe Bobrovsky struggles, you know, maybe a, a team comes calling that needs a veteran presence in net and maybe they're, you know, maybe they give you something in the way of a trade piece, maybe a high draft pick, more than maybe you thought you would have been able to get previously uh, for a player like Bobrovsky. So, you know, 
I just think this deal makes a ton of sense for both sides, and I wasn't surprised in the slightest that, you know, both sides got this done. Moving on to the next piece of news, we've got Toronto Maple Leafs captain John Tavares is going to be out at least three weeks with an oblique strain. Uh, The Maple Leafs captain kind of was dealing with a nagging injury that he suffered during the preseason, and he underwent tests just to see kind of what was going on. They thought it was something minor. It turned out to be more than that. So now Tavares is at least going to miss the first three weeks, which equates to the first four games in the Maple Leaf season. And the earliest he would return is October 20th, which would be at home against the Dallas Stars. Now Tavares would miss games against the Montreal Canadiens, Washington Capitals, Ottawa Senators, and Arizona Coyotes. Um, so that would leave, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs without their second-line center for, you know, at least the first four games of the season, potentially more than that. Um, you know, not definite, but it's looking like Alexander Kerfoot would probably step into that second-line center role to fill in for Tavares until he's back. Uh, Kerfoot, you know, a solid option, 13 goals, 38 assists last season. You know, you're not talking about someone that doesn't have experience. So, you know, even if it's just for a few games, even if it's a role that, you know, he's unfamiliar with, I believe that, you know, the Maple Leafs would be able to weather that storm just for a little while. And, you know, obviously they're going to hope Tavares is back sooner rather than later. You know, this is certainly a big deal, certainly something to keep an eye on. And, you know, you would assume that they're not going to rush him back from this. Um, you'd rather see a guy who is your captain that's, you know, one of the focal points of your franchise. You'd rather have him healthy in April and May than in October and November. So, you know, if that means he's got to miss, you know, a month, maybe even two, if it's, you know, you know, the recovery's a little slower than maybe initially thought, then, you know, I, I would expect that's what uh, Sheldon Keith and the rest of the Maple Leafs would do. Because, again, this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. And they're obviously not going to want Tavares to be dealing with this kind of oblique injury for the majority of the season and have it be something that hinders him. So, you know, again, something to keep an eye on. But right now, it sounds like it's not a huge deal. They're just going to keep him out for a couple weeks and, you know, kind of see where the timetable goes from there. Um, so that's going to wrap up the news. So let's dive on into the offseason as we entered the summer of 2022, you know, everybody knew that the big name, the big fish, that every NHL team you know, with ample cap space would want would be Johnny Gaudreau. And the offseason honestly got off to an interesting start. I mean, all along, myself, I honestly wasn't sure. Um... There was a couple ways this could have gone, and I wouldn't have been surprised. Now, you're talking about a guy that he spent his whole career in Calgary. All nine years of his career, 
if he would have stayed there, it wouldn't have been a huge surprise. But we get to the night before free agency, and you know, all of a sudden, Gaudreau goes to the Calgary front office and just says, "Hey, you know, I'm going to test free agency, and I'm not going to resign with with the Flames. You know, I'm not going to stay here. You know, thanks for everything, but you know, I'm ready to start a new chapter in my career." Which, you know, maybe the timing wasn't the greatest, but at the end of the day, like, it's a big decision. You know, he's in the prime of his career. You know, this is probably the biggest contract he's going to have. So, you know, it's a lot. But I think, much like everybody did, that the Philadelphia Flyers were where Gaudreau wanted to be. You know, he'd get the opportunity to play close to home, play in front of his family. You know, South Jersey is literally a stone's throw from Philly. Um, You know, it's the hometown team, you know, all that stuff. It's just, you know, it was the perfect storm. You know, the the Flyers could, you know, kind of make him the face of the franchise. They kind of enter a rebuilding phase. And, you know, weeks before free agency, that's kind of what, you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, some were on board. It seemed like that's what the Flyers should do, make Gaudreau the guy in Philly. Some thought maybe they shouldn't, but, you know, you could build around a star. But then Flyers general manager Chuck Fletcher, in his infinite wisdom, went out and, you know... Traded for Tony D'Angelo, gave him a hefty contract, and, you know, months prior had given defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen a big contract as well. And because of those bad contracts that he handed out, the Flyers couldn't afford Johnny Gaudreau. And that was all there was to it. He just wasn't, it wasn't able to happen. He wasn't able to come here. Would he have come here? It sound it basically sounded like he he would have. Um, you know, you know. After he landed in Columbus, it kind of he kind of made it sound like you know location wasn't the deciding factor. Um, but you know, when push came to shove, you would think that he probably would have if the Flyers had the money that you know he probably would have jumped at that offer. Obviously, we'll never know, but, um, you know, it's just really interesting to think about. And, you know, it's it'll always be a what if, you know, if the Flyers, you know, didn't make some of these b- bad deals and bad contracts, would, would Johnny Gaudreau be a Flyer? We just won't know. So it's not the Flyers. Was it going to be the Islanders? Was it going to be the Devils? You know, I kind of thought maybe maybe the Islanders made a lot of sense. You know, put him next to Matthew Matthew Barzil in in New York. You know, on Long Island, that would have made a lot of sense. Um, put him next to Jack Hughes. Honestly, like seeing Johnny Gaudreau next to Jack Hughes. Like I know that the Devils have a lot of other holes and they're obviously a long way from contending, but. Jack Hughes and Johnny Gaudreau playing next to each other. I mean, sign me up for that. I mean, that would have been a ton of fun to watch. Um, so, 
you know, it's it br- that brings us to where Johnny Gaudreau ultimately ended up, which is still very it's still very interesting. Um, yet at the same time, extremely surprising. I remember, um, I remember I, I had actually uh, finished my shift at CBS. I was uh, I was at a trivia night um, at a bar nearby, and I got the notification on my phone that Johnny Gaudreau reaches a deal to agrees to sign with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I'm like, I like stared at my phone for a second, and I was like what like is that is you know was somebody hacked like was you know is that a misprint like is that (laughs) is that a misprint johnny gaudreau signed with the the who like it just didn't make sense um you know because it's not like the blue jackets were a team that he was linked to at any point you know it's not a team that anybody really thought he could end up with that would make a run at him per se it's you know Never a team that he hinted in the past, the months leading up to free agency, that he'd even, you know, would be interested in anything. So, you know, it kind of came out of left field. So, you know, he signs there. Seven years, $68.25 million, $9.75 million, um, per season. You know, I was honestly, as much as the destination shocks me, what shocks me more is the money. Because Gaudreau gets out of Calgary when, you know, he said he wanted to test free agency. And you would assume that's to get a massive payday. You know, something in in the realm of at least double-digit salary per season. Like, I would have thought in the realm of at least, you know, maybe 10.5, maybe even bordering on $11 million. I mean, because he just came off a career season. Like, I think I wrote this sentence. I must have wrote this, I don't even know how many times last year, whether it be in um, our Star Power Index or just in various columns, you know, you know, everything. I wrote it so many times that free agency for Johnny Gaudreau couldn't have come at a better time in his career. He had a career year, and, you know, obviously there's no bigger motivation when you're about to hit the open market. You have nothing, you, you'll you never have more to play for unless, you know, you're playing for a cup, you know, unless you're in the Stanley Cup Finals. What, you know, what bigger prize is there to play for than your next contract? So, you know, Last year, he get 115 points, 40 goals, 75 assists. You know, takes the Flames to the to the second round of the playoffs, and you know, kind of sheds the label of you know that he doesn't perform in the postseason. And you know, the it was a fairy tale season. Honestly, it was everything that he could have wanted in a free agency year, and more. Um, so. You know, Gaudreau, he's going to go to Columbus. And I honestly don't hate it. I don't hate the fit. I think there were better ones. Um, The Flyers were not one of them. Um, 
honestly, I still think the Islanders were a decent fit. Um, and But honestly, his bet, bet, best bet might have been to just go back to Calgary. I still think that would have been made the most sense for him from a fit standpoint. But again, you know, from a personal standpoint, it sounds like he kind of was, he was kind of done with Calgary. And that's, you know, that's his prerogative, obviously. So now let's, you know, kind of analyze what this means, him in Columbus. And it's honestly really interesting. You put, you're now putting him on the top line in Columbus, obviously. And, you know, when he signed, it was it was strange because there was a lot of uncertainty with what the Blue Jackets could be next year. Patrick Laine, who has been up and down, but has the potential to be one of the most elite goal scorers in the league. The talent is there. He's still extremely young, um, you know, still only 24 years old, like, you know, it's all there, but he was a restricted free agent. You didn't know if he was coming back. I mean, you thought he probably was, but you just didn't know. Um, so, you know, that was a little surprising. Um, but then he does re-sign. So then all of a sudden, then, you know, I like it a lot more. Um, you know, line is, like I said, one of the most exciting goal scorers we have in the league since he broke in um, five years ago, I believe it was, you know, he's had three 30 goal years. He's, you know, he can score from anywhere. It's just one of those dynamic players where, you know, once he's got the puck on the tape of his stick, you just, you kind of just sit back and watch because he can do anything. Like he can do the impossible and, you know, that's what makes it so interesting because he's never played with a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. And while Johnny Gaudreau has played with Matthew Kachuk, Lane might, Line might be the most, most gifted offensive player that Gaudreau has played with. So what they can do for each other, I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch, honestly. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I think Gaudreau's going to get the best out of Line A. We might see Line A get back to that 30, 40 goal plateau that, you know, that he, we saw as kind of the the standard in his early years when he first broke into the league. Um, so, I mean, it looks like it's probably going to be Gaudreau and, and Line A, obviously, on the wing, uh, and then Boone Jenner. At center, um, you know, Boone Jenner, solid center. Obviously not extremely flashy, but, you know, 44 points last year, 23 goals, 21 assists. Um, those 21 assists were the second most of his career, but, I mean, that number should go through the roof. Absolutely go through the stratosphere if he's centering a line with Johnny Hockey and Patrick Line. I mean... There's absolutely no reason that he he can't, you know, be like a 50 or 60 point guy, you know, at the minimum. Um, my only worry with the Blue Jackets, are they a deep enough team top to bottom? Um, are they too top heavy? Um, 
this 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 top line is going to be fantastic. I think. I really do like this landing spot for Gaudreau is in terms of his fit. Like I said, Gaudreau and Line are going to bring out the best in each other. I firmly believe that. You know, obviously we're we're going to see as the season goes on, but um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the overall fit and. While it you know might have been might have been more interesting to see him on a more proven winner because Columbus is you know 37 38 and seven last year 81 points finished six out of eight in the metropolitan like you know not 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 great like they're not they're not phenomenal by any means but I mean, they could be a solid team. I think they could definitely be a team that gets into the playoffs, especially with Gaudreau. I think anything can happen. Um, so, you know, we'll see what the season brings. But I think if they get, if they can get some back end production from their secondary lines, and especially like from their bottom six, and they can get some solid goaltending, I mean, this team is definitely a team that has the potential to get into the playoffs. And I think this top line is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, for the first time, probably in quite a few years, maybe even since Rick Nash was in Columbus, you know, this team is going to be really interesting and teams, you know, you know, hockey fans, maybe on a national level are going to, are going to care about the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, you know, I'm very intrigued. And, you know, Goudreau, while it wasn't the landing spot that many expected and maybe it's a little strange, I think it's it definitely is a fit for Johnny Goudreau, for sure. Speaking of Johnny Goudreau, we'll move on to his former team, the Calgary Flames, who... Obviously, with Gaudreau leaving town, it was going to look a lot different than it had in quite some time, and it was a complete overhaul, honestly, in Calgary. Just as nearly as soon as Johnny Gaudreau made it clear that he wanted, you know, that he was leaving, and then that he was going to sign elsewhere, um, star winger Matthew Kachuk quickly made it known to the front office that he wanted out. He wanted to be traded. He didn't want to be there anymore. So now you've got Kachuk wanting out, and the Flames front office, they honor his trade request. So Kachuk ends up going to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, Cole Schwint, and a conditional first-round pick. Now... I was honestly shocked when this deal came down because while I thought that Kachuk would net the Flames, you know, a decent return, I didn't expect it to be anything near what they got just because, you know, teams knew that he wanted out. You know, maybe they tried to lowball him a little bit. Maybe they would try to capitalize on that. I just didn't expect anyone of a Jonathan Huberdeau to come out of it and be headed the other way. Uh, so that was a huge gift for Calgary. You know, you see Gaudreau walk out the door. You 
then Matthew Kachuk wants to follow suit. So if you're able to land a winger to the caliber of a Jonathan Huberdeau, that's huge. I mean, you're talking about a guy that registered 115 points last year. You know who else registered 115 points last year? Johnny Gaudreau. Tied for the second most in the entire league to only 123 that that Connor McDavid put up last year. So, Huberdeau is a supreme talent that was a huge get for the Flames and not that long after the trade, they come to terms on an extension. Uh, Huberdeau agrees to an eight-year, $84 million extension to stay in Calgary. You know, he would have been an, he would have been a free agent after this year. So if they trade Kachuk for this kind of return, it's, you know, it's a solid trade. But if, if Huberto walks out the door next summer, then, you know, it's definitely not as great of a deal as it was originally. So, to get him in the fold for the next eight years is huge. And then, you know, a short while later, Nassim Kadri comes calling, and all of a sudden, Nassim Kadri signs a seven-year, $49 million deal with the Flames. And then all of a sudden, this team that, at the drop of a hat right before free agency, lost Gaudreau, and then just, you know, Days later, found out that Matthew Kachuk wanted out. Now, all of a sudden, retooled that, turned Gaudreau and Kachuk into Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Wieger, and Nassim Kadri, and Draft Capital. So, you know, what the Flames front office turned around and was able to do was pretty impressive. Um, so... Nassim Kadri, back to that. 87 points last year, 28 goals, 59 assists with the Avalanche. One of the big reasons they won the Cup last year. Um, you know, was a little bit banged up in the playoffs, but was able to come back for the Stanley Cup Finals. And, you know, is that kind of gritty forward that, you know, I think really is a huge addition for Calgary. Um, you know, being a guy in his early 30s, it's it's risky to sign a guy to a massive contract like that, you know, to a seven-year deal. It's kind of a lengthier, maybe a more risky deal with um, a guy who's in his early 30s, like I said. But at the same time, Kadri's not a guy that relies on his speed. He's, you know, that kind of strong, gritty forward. He's going to drive to the net. He's going to rely on his physicality. You know, he's going to, he's going to lay those big hits. He's going to get into the corner. He's going to go to the net. He's going to do those kinds of things. He's going to set up his teammates. He's not going to need that quick first step as much. Um, You know, obviously if he loses several steps, you know, you know, a few years into the deal, obviously it would be a big deal. It would obviously a big be a big hindrance for him. But I think when push comes to shove, 
this made a lot of sense for the Flames because it gives them another voice in that locker room to pair with Huberdeau, um, you know, also pair with uh, Elias Lindholm, who will be centering that top line, presumably with um, Jonathan Huberdeau, Tyler Toffoli. Kadri's obviously going to be on that, uh, sec- serve as the second line center. And then, um, you know, Flames also have a strong goaltender, you know, was probably, you know, one of the better ones in the entire league last year in Jacob Markstrom. So um, the pieces are there for the Flames. This is, I think this should be a playoff team next year, just as they were last year. Um, I think initially when Gaudreau left, if you would have told, you know, Calgary Flames fans, this is a playoff team next year, or they'd have the potential to be, I think they would have said you're crazy right after the Gaudreau left. But the fact that the front office was able to retool this that fast and, you know, take Gaudreau and Kachuk, they go out the door and just bring in guys like Huberdeau, Uyghur, Kadri. It was an exceptional offseason. Really was one of the more impressive ones that, you know, we've seen in a while. And, you know, my hat is definitely off to them. I was I was very impressed with what they were able to do, and even more impressed that they were able to get the deal done with Huberdo and not kind of go into the season like they were last year with that stress of you know is Johnny Hockey going to come back? Is he you know is this it? Um, so they're not going to have to worry about that next year, which is huge. Um, so you know, Flames definitely definitely are a team that I think are in that playoff conversation next year in the West for sure. Staying north of the border in Canada, the Ottawa Senators also had a very big offseason. They started off on draft night with the acquisition of Alex DeBrinkett. Uh, They acquired him from the Chicago Blackhawks in a trade on draft night. They traded the number 7th pick, the number 39 pick, uh, in addition to a 2023 third round pick to the uh, Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Dabrinkit. Um, you know, obviously the Blackhawks, you know, just kind of in full rebuild mode on draft night. They also shipped out Kirby Dodge, um, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, probably on their way out at some point. Obviously going to start, it seems like, start the season with the team, but, you know, they're probably going to be moved, I would think, before the trade deadline. So it wasn't a surprise to see DeBrinket get moved. But the Senators, you know, part with a pretty significant amount of draft capital to get this done. Um, and then not not too long after that, once free agency begins, the Senators also sign Claude Giroux, uh, former Philadelphia Flyers star, to a three-year, $19.5 million deal. Uh, he's originally from Hearst, Ontario, so, you know, only a couple hours away. So he gets to play closer to home um, for, you know, the later stages of his career. Drew split time last year, obviously, with the Flyers and the Florida Panthers. Um, at the trade deadline, Drew was traded to the Panthers uh, in exchange for Owen Tippett and a first-round pick along with a third-round pick. 
um, played his 1,000th game in, in Philly, and then uh, pretty much immediately after, uh, the Flyers got that deal done. So, uh, Giroux registered 65 points last year in his two stops, and you know is a big addition for this team. Drew was named one of the Senators' alternate captains last month. Uh, he's most likely going to skate on Ottawa's second line opposite Debrinket, and Tim Stutzel is going to be centering them. Adding two star forwards like Giroux and Debrinket is absolutely huge for the Senators because, I mean, this is a team that's been, you know, they just haven't been good for the last several seasons. I mean, you know, last year, team that finished under 500, um, finished seventh in the Atlantic, missed the playoffs for the fifth consecutive year. And, so now you're adding a guy like Debrinket, who scored 41 goals last year. You're at you're adding in Giroux, who had um, 65 points. You know, two guys that really can you know affect the game in so many ways. And this is a Senators team that only averaged 2.7 goals per game last year, which was 26 in the entire league last year. I mean, it was, put, it was pretty bleak last year. So now you have these two offensive stars on your second line in Debrinket and Giroux. You already have a very talented top line that features Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk. All of a sudden, you have a pretty nice stable of goal scorers that are going to make like life difficult for a lot of the goalies around the league. And I just think it's huge to have a guy like Giroux, a veteran voice in your locker room, especially when it comes to a young team like that. You, like I said, you've got guys like Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris guys that are obviously very talented in their own right. And, you know, it's going to it's going to be good for them to have a guy like Giroux that can kind of reel them in and you know obviously I've watched Giroux my entire life his entire career and you know especially in recent years sure he's not the player that he used to be I'll be the first one to admit that but he's still an extremely talented playmaker and is still you know a guy that you can depend on on a nightly basis to you know, give you everything he's got and he's going to demand the best out of his teammates. And I just, you know, I have no doubt that he's going to be a huge addition to this team. And playing on a line with DeBrinket is, I think that's just going to be phenomenal. And for a guy like Tim Stutzel, a young player like that, former first-round pick, I just think that line could be one of the more dangerous ones that we see in the Eastern Conference. I really do. Um, I'm just really eager to see the Senators team on the ice um, in the regular season and just really see what they can do um, with this second second line playing together because I just think with DeBrinket, his goal-scoring prowess, Giroux's ability as a playmaker, I, I just think it could be a magical combination. And 
No, I'm very, very interested to see what that looks like. So the Senators are definitely going to be a team to watch. And, you know, one of those younger teams that I definitely have my eye on next year. Or this coming season, rather. Moving on, uh, quickly we'll touch on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, obviously, for the last you know 15 years, it's been... Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. And it looked like maybe that wasn't going to be the case any longer. With Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang set to become free agents this this summer. But General Manager Ron Hextall decided uh, that they they want to make a couple more runs at the Stanley Cup. So... Evgeny Malkin resigns with the Penguins, four years, $24.4 million contract. And Latang also resigns, six years, $36.6 million contract. Um, the team also resigns uh, Ricard Raquel, who they, re- who they acquired from the Anaheim Ducks at the. Trade deadline last year, he gets six years, $30 million on an extension. And then uh, the Pens also beefed up their blue line with Jeff Petrie and Jan Ruda. So a pretty active offseason for, for Pittsburgh, to say the least. And, you know, it's interesting. I The closer and closer we got to free agency, I really wasn't sure what the Penguins were going to do. I really thought that I thought that maybe finally one of these guys was gonna was gonna get away from them. Um, for some reason, I thought Malkin was gonna stay. I didn't think Malkin was gonna leave. I thought he was gonna continue to play with Crosby and kind of thought they were gonna end their career together. But for some reason, Latang, I just thought like I could see him going, um, see him going elsewhere. Um, and getting a massive payday. But obviously he still gets a big contract. It's definitely a risky one. I mean, Latang is 35 years old currently. And, you know, obviously he's going to be north of 40 when this deal is done. Um, assuming he sees it all the way through. So, you know, it is, it is certainly a big risk for the Penguins to make a deal like this but at the same time he's coming off a year where he had 68 points which was a career high in you know i mean it's hard to argue with that kind of production career high 58 assists as well i mean you know when you're having those elite numbers this late in your career and you already have multiple cups under your belt i mean how do you it's hard to if you're the penguins to kind of go and say you know, you know, we're not going to re-sign you. You almost, how do you tell that to your fan base almost? So it's, I've, I almost felt like they had to do this. They had to keep, keep the band together, so to speak, um, to make a few more runs. So, you know, if, if this is a group that can stay healthy this year, they're right there with everybody else in the East. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Raquel was a nice addition last year. Um, you know, for a team that's pretty sound defensively, adding Petri and Ruda, 
our sound moves, the kind of, I want to say kind of championship level moves that a Stanley cup caliber team makes. And, you know, I, I think it made the most sense for the penguins to, you know, kind of keep these guys intact and, you know, keep them locked in with Crosby for the remainder of their careers. So, Pittsburgh is going to obviously their whole legacy is tied to tied to these guys and you know already have three cups to show for it so you're not going to you know whatever they give you at this point is is just going to be gravy. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they can either, you know, add another one to the mantle so to speak. But moving on to the final, uh, we're kind of just going to do a little rundown here of, uh, you know, some of the lesser moves, so to speak. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the, I kind of call this one the goalie carousel. Jack Campbell, they let him walk. He goes to the, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, five years, $25 million. And then the Maple Leafs bring in, they trade for Matt Murray, former Penguin. Um, they acquire him from the Ottawa Senators in a trade and then sign former Washington Capitals goaltender Ilya Samsonov to a one-year, $1.8 million deal. Um, both guys, you know, thought to be franchise cornerstones in net in the past, um, but both kind of had their fair share of struggles. Last year, Samsonov 23-12-5 with a 3.02 goals against, 0.896 save percentage. And then Murray, 5-12-2, 3.05 goals against with a .906 save percentage with the Senators. If, if I'm being honest, I don't get this one for the Maple Leafs because why not just pay Jack Campbell? I know the Oilers were maybe pay, willing to pay a little bit more maybe than most teams because they've had Mike Smith and they've kind of had that void in net. So maybe they're, you know, willing to give, you know, they're willing to give more money than most just because they've had that instability for so long. But at the same time for a team that has those Stanley cup aspirations that, you know, is trying to break through that glass ceiling get out of the first round six consecutive years. They couldn't make it out of the first round. You know, Austin Matthews is this superstar. We, he had a ridiculous season last year, you know, wins the heart trophy is the MVP of the league. And, you know, is he going to be there long-term, you know, for the, you know, his entire career. I just don't know that Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray are going to, you know, be the catalyst that you want them to be. Could you catch lightning in a bottle with one of them? Sure. Anything's possible. You know, you, you see those low risk signings all the time and one, you know, once in a while they work out, but I just don't know if it'll work out this time. And, you know, like I said, for a team that wants to finally get out of the first round and make a Stanley cup run, I just, I would think you'd want to make more of a splash at goalie and, or at least just, I would have just kept Jack Campbell was, you know, while he was inconsistent, maybe at times, I think I'd rather have Jack Campbell than Ilya Samsonov or Matt Murray. 
uh, at this point in their career. So, um, other interesting signings, you've got the New York Rangers signed Vincent Trocek, seven years, $39.375 million. He's going to be their second-line center, um, probably going to play with Artemi Panarin. That was a nice move for the Rangers. Really kind of, I feel like, almost an underrated move. Um, you know, decent amount of money for the Rangers to give up, but I think it was definitely worth it and, you know, could end up making a huge difference for them as far as, you know, have it providing them some secondary offense, um, you know, in their top six. Um Back to goalies, we've also got Darcy Kemper. Like I said earlier, the Colorado Avalanche just, you know, when you win a Stanley Cup, you just can't pay everybody. They they just couldn't afford to keep him, so they let him walk in free agency. He goes to the nation's capital, signs with the Washington Capitals. Five years, $26.25 million. You know, they've, they've been trying to um, stabilize their goaltending for quite a while obviously Samsonoff was one of the guys that was there you know never really couldn't really um get the job done hadn't really had anyone break through since Braden Holtby when they won the cup um so you know Kemper is is solid he you know maybe not he's not a top five goalie or anything by that stretch but He's a solid netminder and definitely on a team that's, you know, is capable of scoring a ton like the Washington Capitals. He should be a great fit there. Um, one move they actually really like a lot was the New Jersey Devils signing Andre Palat. Um, I think the Lightning are really going to miss Palat. He was one of the, you know, one of their top secondary scorers throughout their um, back-to-back-to-back trips to the Stanley Cup final. Um you know, he just, he's kind of that guy that whenever you need, like if you needed a big goal, like a lot of times he would just go get it. Um, just very, very scrappy player. Very, very just one of those kind of glue guys that you just want on your team. Just, you just need those guys on your team. And I just feel like um, you really, really, can use those guys, especially when you're a younger team like the New Jersey Devils. I think having Plot playing with Jack Hughes is going to do wonders for Jack Hughes. I mean, while Andre Palat is not Johnny Gaudreau, Andre Palat is going to be a great addition to this Devils roster. Yes, I understand. You know, six million a year for Ram might be a little, a little more than you might want to spend, but but I think it makes a lot of sense for the Devils. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes also trade for Max Pacioretty and defenseman Brett Burns. Uh, Pacioretty will be out several months with a torn Achilles that he suffered shortly after arriving in Carolina. Um, so they may not have him much for this year, if at all. So that's obviously a big deal. But um, you know, having Burns, even though he's not quite what he was, really stabilizes that blue line and that top defensive pairing with Jacob Slavin. That's that's going to be huge and, you know, something the Carolina Hurricanes really need. And last but not least, the Edmonton Oilers re-signed Evander Kane to a four-year, $20.5 million contract. 
Uh, Kane landed with the Oilers after he was released by the San Jose Sharks last year and really played well down the stretch and in the playoffs, you know, really found his niche with that team and proved to be a really huge goal scoring threat for them was really a nice secondary playoff score for them as well. In addition to uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So, you know, it was, you know, that's kind of a nice contract for them and a nice landing spot. Um, I just, I didn't really think Kane would end up anywhere else. Oilers just seemed to make way too much sense. And, uh, you know, so he'll be back in Edmonton, Edmonton next year. So that really wraps up most of the, most of the big high priority off season landing spots. Um, for this episode, I'll uh, I'm just finishing up a NHL preview for CBS Sports. Uh, should be up later this week, um, so we'll uh, you know we'll kind of preview the season. I'll give you my you know my picks for division winners, um, for picks for all the major awards, um, Stanley Cup picks, all that good stuff. We'll do an episode of that. Um, probably later in the week. And then, um, right before I get out of here, I have one topic I wanted to get to real quick, a little, uh, lighter, if you will. I don't know if everybody has seen it, but if you have not, you have to go check it out immediately after you're listening to this or as you're listening to this podcast. You have to go to Twitter immediately and look up Bowie, the new Seattle Kraken mascot. You just have to do it, and it's interesting, is 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 all I'll say. So apparently, um, they were they've been brainstorming ideas for months. Uh, didn't inter- introduce anything during their inaugural season. And then during uh, this past Saturday's preseason game against the Vancouver Canucks, um, Bowie the the Troll lowered himself from the Raptors and made his debut. And he is inspired by the famous Fremont Troll sculpture, which is located in Seattle's Fremont neighborhood. And he's said to be the Fremont Troll's nephew. Um... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's intriguing. Look, look, I mean, as somebody who's from the Philadelphia area, I mean, we have gritty. I mean, we don't even know what gritty even is, but the flyers aren't like, what is a flyer? Like, there's no concrete definition. Like, you know what the Kraken are. They're sea monsters, mythological sea monsters. You, you know, that's, I feel like that's what the Kraken should have played to. And instead, they kind of took something way too niche. Like, I get, like, a lot of the locals will, you know, know what it is. And, like, maybe a lot of locals appreciate it. And maybe I'm way off base here. But, like, based on a lot of the Twitter reaction that I saw from, you know, national hockey media and national hockey fans and all like that, I just, 
it seems like people are thinking that Bowie is a little creepy, and I think that's pretty spot on. Um, the team wanted something kid-friendly so he can visit schools and hospitals, and it's a little horrifying. I mean, I also made a video about this on um, the on our podcast TikTok channel. So if you haven't followed it yet, make sure you go do that right now. Um, it's Bengals Barn, just same as the podcast, B-E-N-G-E-L-S-B-A-R-N. I made a quick video with, uh, we have the, photo, have the photo in there of Bowie the Troll. And uh, so you can get the visual representation and, you know, I give you my thoughts on it just as I did here. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's kind of horrifying. So, you know, not, it's, it's definitely not the, not the uh, path that I would have went on, but, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Um, they uh, went down a little bit of a different path than I would have. But at the same time, you know, it's, every team should have a mascot. At least they do have one now. It's pretty cool. Hopefully the fans will get behind it out in Seattle. And, you know, Seattle, it seems to be a booming hockey community. And that's obviously what the league wanted. And that's what everybody wants. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, what Seattle does this year. And hopefully they continue to improve. And that continues to become a, a hotbed for the sport. So that's pretty much going to wrap us up for this episode of Bengals Barn. This has been the second episode. Uh, like I said, we'll be back later this week uh, to try and get I'll get uh, all my predictions. We'll uh, preview the season a little bit, and and I'll bring you all the latest hard-hitting hockey news as always. So this has been Chris Bengal from CBS Sports, and this has been Bengals Barn.